I see the future that's within our grasp. From the Political Science Department at UW-Madison. Democracy is not a prophecy, it's self-actuating. I'm Claire Salmi. I'm Cole Wozniak. And I'm Fiona Hatch. This is more work than in my previous life. I thought it would be easier. This is 1050 Bascom. In this episode, we interviewed Ashley Brown, a Wisconsin alumnus of the political science major who now owns her own lobbying firm. We spoke to Ashley about her time at UW, along with her unique career path since graduating. We hope you will enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us. We're excited to have you on. We're hoping to start a little bit broadly uh, with your background and maybe getting into choosing a major at UW-Madison. So did you come into UW knowing that you wanted to pursue a political science major? And what was kind of your thinking early on? Yeah, so actually I didn't. Um, So I hate to be, you know, I hate to disappoint folks. Um, I did not come in thinking that this was going to be my major. I actually came in as a high school, very ambitious high school, like um, editor of my student newspaper and very like, very much thinking that I was going to be a journalist. I saw myself being on air, going to and reporting like interesting events. When I first came to campus, I wrote for the Badger Herald and I, I just, I saw myself as the writer and that's sort of the dream I chased until I never got into the J school and then I had to figure out another plan. Um, But there's, I think it was the way things were supposed to go because um, I, you know, received an email from, I think it was the career center and there were internships posted and I applied for one on a political campaign and that kind of changed everything. And so I stepped away from what I thought I was supposed to do for my life and kind of embarked on an experience I never would have imagined. And then that sort of changed the course for my entire life, which is partially why I'm excited to talk to you all today. <laughs> Again, had I was the planner. I was, I was the student that had very, like, had the five-year plan. Like, I had everything mapped out. And then, <laughs> and then you have one experience that completely blows up your plans. And you're like, oh, I didn't know that there was this other career, this other, like, track out here. And I, I think after being on that campaign, you know, Obama's 2008 campaign as an intern, unpaid, going to Chicago and working out of the um, headquarters the camp, the national campaign headquarters for a summer, I thought, you know, am I okay with just reporting the news or do I want to have the ability to kind of influence and impact the news that is reported? And that, that really gave me a different perspective and like where I wanted to show up in the world. I think for me, it was the opportunity to like, I think it was the first time in my, in my young adult life that we make these plans and life has other has other like journeys in store for us and being flexible enough to not you're not departing from the dream that you had but being open to the realm of possibility that there are other things out there too that you might be interested in and gravitate towards mm-hmm. too as yeah. well and that sounds like a really exciting thing to be a part of too that had to be really impactful yeah what was was that the catalyst for your other career moves that followed and how did your path kind of evolve after that internship experience? 
Yeah. So kind of to kind of back up here. So I, I get that internship. It was, it had just turned summer. It was the summer of, I just finished my, gosh, my, my sophomore year. So I was pretty young, hadn't declared a major, still undeclared because I was intent on going to the J school. Like I still was holding out. I kept applying and, um, I was like, I refuse to declare until I get into the school, go on this internship experience. And then the summer, while the summer was coming to an end, the campaign was still going on. And I was like, there's no way I can go back to campus. This is like, this is like, this is the time to stay, stick around. So I stayed and I totally blew my junior year going on this campaign ride and, and kind of dancing in this political world and said, and I was, I was gone from campus for my entire junior year. So I stayed with the campaign, I got some other internship opportunities and fellowship opportunities that took me to Washington DC and some other really interesting places where I just now was fascinated by the political world. And um, I came back to campus for my senior year and I was like, I, I don't know that I can fully, like now my world has been blown up a little bit here and I, I think I'm, my world is beyond journalism now. So it, I will say, you know, while a lot of students, you, the only time you really step away from campus is when you are going to study abroad or you have something that is like taking you like legitimately like out of the country. But this was sort of my study abroad. I was away and this was before you know, remote school was a thing or like virtual school was a thing. So I was taking like the few classes that you could take at the time that were online because online classes were not really a popular option. And again, I didn't plan it, right? I, I'm at the time I was the Supreme Planner. So it was like, to me, I kept sort of just, we get sort of to the end of an opportunity, be like, well, what next? And at the time when I ended, you know, kind of came to the end of the summer, I was like, I can't leave now. This thing is just getting good. I, you know, I spent the last part of the campaign um, in Florida. And that's where I worked in Florida uh, with a lot of the GOTV efforts. And, you know, I'm 20. I'm 20 in a, a cities I've never been to before. And, you know, thankfully I had supportive parents that were like, okay, we, this is kind of wild, but you're going to can keep going. Um, and I stayed through November and was in Tampa, Florida when the an election was announced and he won he didn't just win the election he won florida that's like hadn't really happened before yeah. um and so that was just an exciting time and when i came back for like the holidays i was like gosh college just seems so small compared to like this bigger world that's out here uh, and so i i found another opportunity that allowed me to step away from school again and um i went to dc on a fellowship called presidential classroom it was um it was a program i don't know that it's around anymore but it was a program that sort of allowed high school students to come to dc for a week and spend a week learning about the political system um you know having really great talks and sessions with influential government leaders at the time, um, get really great access to amazing tours, of, you know, going in, in and out of like just different places that you can't just as a member of the public get off the street, which was kind of cool. So my role was um, really serving as like one of the older um, 
college student um, advisors that were sort of helping these high school students and have this incredible experience. And um, it was a chance for me to also see DC in a different way um, outside of being just a regular tourist. And so that was a great, a great um, program. And then um, I think where things came back to a head is like, okay, we're back to summer, to summer 2009. And I applied for the White House internship program. This is um, under um, President Obama's first sort of time having like interns in within his administration. And so I ended up getting uh, placed in the Office of Presidential Correspondence. And um, it was a great opportunity um, that I, I think later on I'll talk to that I, you know, at this point money is running out. <laughs> money had had run out, right? And this is where I think the uh, scholarships and the programs that were offered here at the time um, from UW were really beneficial to help me fund that last experience, which was having that um, that family fund uh, scholarship opportunity so that I could accept an unpaid internship and have some resources to kind of carry me through. So um, UW supported me all the way, I will say. And that was a really great experience and a unique one that I don't know any other student that I know has had the ability to kind of step away from college for a whole year, still graduate in four years and be able to tell like a story like this because it's it's really it's really different. It is, yeah. yeah. Was that White House internship during your final year? It was the summer of my junior year. Okay, okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. That so, is very unique. Yeah, very unique, yeah. How did you find the those scholarship opportunities? I know that we're going to talk soon about how unpaid internships factor into a student's decision, but yeah. how did you end up finding those scholarships at all? If I had to tell students anything, read your emails. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of the stuff I learned about both the the Obama's first internship, uh, like on the campaign, that came from the university. Um, the scholarship um, office, I want to say the Career Center, um, that came through the Career Center, right? And I, again, was the reader, the writer, and I read everything and I applied for them and that's how I learned of them. So it's it really comes down to just keeping your eyes and ears open to sort of where opportunities are and asking the questions um, because I think they had already decided on their recipients for that particular scholarship but then when they heard like there was one more student that had a, a, an opportunity to go to Washington DC and work in within the office of president presidential correspondence I think the family extended and found more resources to stand up one more scholarship and so wow. I, I think I think the uh, the opportunities the generosity the family I mean I, I put their name in here and I don't want to butcher their name but the Henderson and Resnick scholarship fund if they're still around I you know just really have to give them a big shout out while we're on that advice track, actually, do you have any advice for students who are about to start the job market search after graduation in May, um, who might not know exactly what the next couple couple of years entail after graduating? I think a lot of students could relate to this. You know, the economy is, is a fluid thing. It goes up and down. Um, and at the time when our graduating class is coming out, 2008, 9, and 10, were some of the biggest recession years that the country had faced. And so 
it was a really humbling experience for me after coming off of the high of these unpaid internships, right? And then you grow, you come back. I do the the my final senior year here. Then I graduate and I go back to working at the mall, that and working some of the same jobs I had without a college degree. Um, and there was, I think, I think in our minds that when we earn a college degree, that should automatically give us open doors. That's not the case always, but that's okay because it's not going to be forever. It's just for then. And so I think I felt frustrated and felt a little like, well, what did I just do these four years for? I just do all of the White House. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I went back to working at the mall and working in retail. Um, But I think that's that's the humbling um, of like humbling to make sure that you continue to have a good work ethic. You show up you know, customer support and customer service skills, they really translate into the world of lobbying. That's exactly what lobbying is. You know, being able to listen, respond to um, the issues that your your um, your clients have or the needs that the companies that you're serving. I mean, all of these things are very much related. And I learned a lot of that by working in retail, working in hospitality. I mean, those, those types of those types of service industries, they do prepare you for the bigger world. Yeah. How do you keep that positive mindset? Because you said, you know, it was frustrating at the time. What do you think? Do you have any advice for people who might be struggling with that? Yeah. I would say, you know, you should definitely work a job so you can keep money in your pocket. That's, I mean, Economics is economics, right? The math has to add so you can pay for your phone bill, you can pay for you know your rent and your lights at home. So you have to get whatever job you can get. Um, and I'd say always have your passion project on the side, the thing that you might not be getting paid for, but you're gaining experience for in between. Um, so I often remember, like even as a student on campus, I worked in the libraries, and you know you're constantly pushing books or you're, um, you know, answering phones. And that's not the most glamorous job, right? But on the side, I was, you know, volunteering on campaigns or I was um, doing letter writing and things that I was really passionate about connected to at the time, um, issues that were happening here on campus, right? Campus is a political space too um, and a huge political playground that you can get involved with as well. And so I think still keeping up with the things that you're really passionate about and not letting those things kind of die, I think that will help bring some of the balance and into view. I'm curious to hear if, so did you have other jobs in between that time and then when you decided to go back to do post-grad education? Yeah, so I think I had, I got a job at a small nonprofit here in the city. I worked there for four months and I learned a lot, but I learned the most I learned is what I didn't love about the job. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's part of the exercise of entering the workforce and entering adulthood. You try things and some things you're going to love and some things you're not going to love. And you're going to be like, you know what? All right. I have this experience. I lasted four months. That's kind of embarrassing. You know, now in, in this, you know, this day and age, that's actually <laughs> longer than some, some people, you know. <laughs> put in. But um, at the time, you know, you kind of stayed at a job for a couple of years and then you moved on to the next job. But I think, um, I think for me, I learned quickly, like, okay, I do like some elements of like 
working for an executive or working for an elected official. Some of them I could do without. Like I personally learned I don't love to manage someone else's calendar. That is extremely stressful. But some people might love that, right? Um, I love to interact with groups, people, issues. I like to strategize and think through like and help solve problems. Um, and so those are like the pluses of like what I learned about those jobs. So I think that is I think part of the exercise of like trying out things and you don't have to stay forever. You just got to stay until you find the next thing. Mm-hmm. That's all. I like that advice. Yeah. So you pursued a certificate in public policy and then an MPA. Do you have any advice to students thinking about an MPA or what is your view on gap years, all that stuff? Take the gap year. <laughs> Take the gap year, please. Um, I will say this. Um, School today is too expensive to be unsure or to be kind of thinking or lukewarm about what you want to do. Um, I can't tell you how many friends of mine, and I almost fell into the same trap too, where we all went after law school, right? We all like invested resources in LSAT programs and we like threw everything we had into like going after the next degree. Um, they got in, I did not, <laughs> but what I will say is a lot of them that ended up going all the way, they don't, they don't want the, they don't actually use either use the degree or they have realized that they don't want to be in, in that world and in that space. And now they're just stuck with all this debt now. Right. And so I think that's where I think the workforce getting into the workforce helps you kind of form some of those opinions early on without without you being weighed down by that financial commitment after the fact. So I think the more you work, you can kind of shape like, okay, I actually like this or I actually like this um, experience a little bit more and then it'll help you refine that. I will say, um, you know, going to get a certificate, it was great. I think for me, it was just an opportunity for me to go and live in another city. I only intended to be there for one year and it turned into 10. (laughs) And so it, it, it can happen, right? You move to another place, you go to a school for a period of time and you think, okay, once I check this box, then I'll, I'll go back home. That didn't quite happen for me. Um, I got there, I got a job. I liked the job and I stayed there for a long time. And then then it just kind of snowballs into another experience. And so I will say I don't, I don't regret like getting the certificate. I think it was sort of my entry point into living in a new city. Um, I will say my MPA, though, I did think about that decision because I knew it was going to be expensive. And I thought through where do I see it benefiting me. And I, I took a few years before I decided to actually go after that. And I took it. I, when, once I did make that decision, I wanted to find a program that could match and meet the lifestyle that I had at the time. I didn't want to stop working, was not interested in doing full-time school, and I did night school. And it was great because I everything I was learning in the classroom was reinforcing the work I was doing in the legislature. And it was like it was they were complementing each other. So there were some things I was working on at work that I could that would count for like homework, which was great. Um, and vice versa. Um, and so I think that was really beneficial. And I think also too, there's a different, I will say there's a different muscle that you gain when you're doing both at the same time, time management, 
went straight up. <laughs> um, um, I would say you're also in the classroom with other professionals. So people that are like you, working and balancing full-time work, and sometimes families, right? And you're meeting people that you will likely run into in the workforce and other areas you know, as you continue to grow in your career. And so um, I found that experience really beneficial. And my, my, the program at Northeastern, that's, that's her, their whole model, right, is supporting sort of in providing you with that experience, experiential learning opportunity. What played into your decision to pursue that MPA in the first place? Was it a specific job or your role in the legislature that was kind of the the push that made you think like, oh, I need this degree or what, what factor can do it? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. I, I never felt like I needed the degree. I will say I, um, in my, in my role in the legislature, as I was working on policy, I was like, it would be nice to have a little bit more foundation on other areas of policy that I would not normally interact with while I'm in my work setting. And so I think getting an opportunity to take time to focus on, like one of my classes was just education policy. One of my classes was on fin- you know, finance and budgeting. Um, and so for me, it gave me a chance to kind of have that set aside time to kind of dig in. Um, I also think there's an element to the MPA that I didn't realize that I learned along the way was sort of the whole regulatory process, right? There's a whole system um, and and regulations that I I didn't necessarily interact with a lot in my role within the legislature. And so I think it gave me just an opportunity to interact with other types of policy areas in, um, in, uh, in just specific issues. And so... That is one of the things that helped me think like this could be beneficial. I'm not trying to say you don't need to have good grades, but nobody has asked for my transcript since I've left here. <laughs> I, I do want to say that the political world, the the political, even you know some of the um, public policy world, it's relationship based. It's not really sort of credential based, right? So nobody cares where you went to school. Or the you know whether it was Ivy League or a public institution, nobody cares. Uh, nobody cares what your GPA was. They don't. They never ask. Um, of, of course, when you want to apply for another school or an advanced degree, they will ask. Yes, but um, nobody. It's. It, I think there's this perception, and I think it's because we are we. Up until our college years, we've been serial students. We think like we need to just keep going and keep going and keep going. The reality is we actually need to stop that and we need to work and we need to build experience and we need to, um, I think, slow down the schooling because I actually learned the most in the workplace, more than I've learned in the classroom. Um, and that is, that's the truth that nobody says out loud because we want to, we don't want to sort of discredit the value that education does provide, but I have learned more about myself, more about the world in the workplace and when I'm away from the classroom. Um, and so that to me, it just reinforces the need to really think through that advanced degree because nobody really asked for it. Nobody even cares that I have an MPA. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure my parents care, but um, like, I mean, but like nobody, nobody really has this. Um, nobody's asking me to show my diploma. Like we'd love to explore is that you also hold certificates in some really cool things like Zumba and Mixology. 
So how do you use those certificates? Do you just like want to tell us that story? Because that seems really cool. Yeah. So I got my Zumba certificate when I was actually a student. I was, it you know, I don't know that I completely thought it through. I think I just, I loved the class. It was my one hour, a couple times a week that I could just burn off some energy, stress. And I, I just, I loved it. Um, and then I realized, oh, I can make money doing this. Brilliant. I can get paid to work out. I'm, I'm a person that likes to like, like, like uh, overlap as many things as possible. If I can get paid to talk to people, awesome. I can get paid to work out great. Like I tried to find all the ways that I could really maximize my time. Um, I think to, to my mom's point too, when I was, you know, working in the libraries or like proctor, like I used to be a proctor when I was in grad school, I was a proctor for one of my buildings working the overnight. I'm a night owl too. So it's like, I could just get paid to watch a building and do homework. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, like, I mean, it just was like, to me, it was like, how can I maximize my time? And I need to keep money in my pocket. And so for me, it was an opportunity for me to honor my creative side, have something that is beyond our school, because we are whole people, right? You know, yes, we are a student, but we also have other identities and other interests. And so I think it's really important to make sure that you tap into the, the hobbies and the things that bring you joy outside of the classroom and outside of your job. It's so important to like have separation <laughs> between all of those places. And so for me, you know, it's physical fitness, it's singing in the, in the church choir, it's socializing with friends. Um, and so getting these certificates were areas that allowed me to really, you know, just continue to feed into that curious and creative side. What is your day-to-day -day work life now? that you own your own company compared to when you were working for other people in leadership positions or having leadership position of your own within someone else's company? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good question. I think as I, and I'm a fairly new small business owner, so I'm not even a year in, but I think for me, I have more autonomy over my time. I think when you are your own boss, you have the ability to make your schedule and allocate your time and go at your own pace. Um, and I think there is a beauty in that. I think what I'm still trying to work out is, do I love the logistical parts of owning my own business, like accounting and like making sure you follow up with clients and make sure you get paid. And like, like there's a whole other like business element and management side that I'm like, do I, do I like this? I mean, I can do it, but do I like it? You know? And so, um, there, there's that part I'm still trying to work out. I think that's where I'm appreciating my previous employers and companies because I'm like, there's a whole other world as the employee you're shielded from that you never have to see picking insurance and like, how do you decide for your company? How many insurance options are, you know, it's just like, it, it, it gets kind of wild. Um, and so I think when you are an employee though, you, I think have rightfully a little bit more expectations on you. You have more, um, I think you have at least, um, you have more people you're accountable to. And, um, I think that is, I think that's it that's the difference. But I think day to day, it's right now in this very hyper virtual world, it's a lot of video calls, it's a lot of phone calls. 
Um, it's a lot of memo writing. So for our poli-sci students that are wondering if memo writing will ever go away, nope. <laughs> um, memo writing is, is a very relevant skill that I still use um, to this day. Um, and it's a lot of like connecting and just making connections with clients and stakeholders, um, getting creative around ideas and also forecasting where you see political things and policies going. Mm-hmm. And Fiona and I have had a chance to stalk you a little bit online, so we know what you do, but for the <laughs> listeners, do you want to give a brief overview of what the company does? Yes. Yeah, so, um, I am the principal and owner of 414 Consultancy. LLC, and um, I am focusing right now with clients that are um, squarely focused around racial addressing racial equity um, issues through policy. And so I'm supporting clients that are focused, a business coalition of clients that are looking at how do we do more than just sort of um, have our DNI or sort of our internal DNI efforts, and a lot of this was born out of the George Floyd um, uh, 2020 events. And so, how do we go beyond sort of our internal DNI efforts, and can we can we you know leveraging our power as a coalition, can we figure out ways that we can address racial equity issues across healthcare, public safety, education, and economic issues. How did you come to decide that that's what you wanted to pursue as your small business, and how did you really go about like creating that? Yeah, well, it's it, it reminds me a lot of how I um, I think kind of takes me back to the start of my story. I didn't plan it it just kind of happened, right? Where you kind of get to a, a stage in your career and every, uh, I feel like every adult and professional gets to a place where you hit a ceiling and you're like, there's gotta be something different. Bored, I'm not, I feel like there's more I can learn um, or I just wanna change. And I thought, you know what, I've always been in-house, right? I've always been the in-house lobbyist. I've always been the in-house government affairs professional. What would it look like if I get to choose the issues I want to work on and choose the clients I want to work with? And so I just decided in my last job, I was like, you know what? I think I think we have, we, we've, we've kind of hit our ceiling here and I think it's time for me to try something new. And so that's sort of how I arrived there. It wasn't a big magical moment where I had planned this out. This was not a part of my five-year plan. I've, I've since blown up those plans because um, life just has a way of giving you the detours you need. I mean, we know that you have an insane uh, work ethic and you're just constantly go, go, going, which is really, really impressive. And we're also wondering, how do you end up balancing that work-life balance in your life, especially like giving advice for younger people about to enter the workforce? Yeah, I think in thinking about that, um, I think for us all, we all struggle with that. I don't... I think you you see a piece of that as a student, but then as you get older and you, your life becomes more complicated, it just does naturally, right? You're moving, family, you know, you just, you get, you, you end up taking on more. And I think it's important, especially I think the pandemic emphasized this for us all is to sort of establish whatever your working hours are and you honor them. <clears throat> and you then also honor your personal time, your me time, being deliberate about taking vacation and not feeling bad or guilty for doing that. Um, I think there is, uh, I think there is um, taking care of yourself 
that is like has to come number one you know taking your breaks your walks don't work while you eat lunch i'm still working on that one (laughs) um but you know taking that time to really make sure that you're being intentional about investing in the things that are important to you but that also should include yourself um and so um, I would say identify that focus time, those blocks for yourself each day where you kind of have your heads down moments and then have your like, okay, nope, I said I was going to be done at six. So we're closing the laptop and we're done. And whatever I didn't finish, we'll just have to wait till tomorrow and just walking away from that. Um, there was a time in my life and I think it started here <laughs> on campus where I would just burn myself at college library until like three in the morning. Um, you know, just thinking that that was going to help me out. Uh, it never did. <laughs> I mean, it did sometimes, but it just like, it was more of like a, you know, it's kind of now I've since learned like rest is good. It's better to show up to your test rested than half, you know, half memorizing a <laughs> note cards. So <laughs> yeah. as we're kind of starting to wrap up our conversation here, I'm wondering if you have any general advice that you would want to give to current students who might be looking at graduation pretty soon? We went over like a lot of your kind of advice throughout these questions, but if you had to give one main piece of advice, what would it be? Um, I would say challenge yourself and take risks. I think there is power in trying new things. Um, and I have learned that time and time again, whether they be moves to new cities, jumping from one job to the next those transitions are always scary don't get me wrong I don't want to sort of not acknowledge that um but there's power in being 20 something <laughs> and there's power in not just your youth but your ability to be agile like your life is not as complicated as you think right now and you can move and groove in ways that you can't necessarily fully do when you get just a little bit more established. And so I would say erase your assumptions about what you think you should be doing. Block out what your peers are doing because you'll learn when you get to your 30s, your mid 30s, your peers who had had these ambitious plans, they have also leveled down some somewhat. Um, and so keeping up with the Joneses is not realistic. And I think keeping your plan, your path in mind is just, is the most important thing. Is there anything that we haven't talked about yet that you think is important to cover in this conversation? Um, move. Move to a new city. Try something new. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, moving, you know, I think that there's power, even if you don't stay long, move, move to a new city, somewhere that's new, um, away from, you know, whatever your home, your home, hometown might be. I, I just think that's the best experience you can have. Because all the things that you've come to find as comfortable, and I mean, I just moved to Chicago. Chicago's not far from Madison, but it's not Madison. Let's be very clear, right? Yeah, it's yeah. very different, and it's also not Boston, right? But you're, you're having to sort of set up for yourself again your comfort zones, yeah. finding your church or your community, finding, you know, your doctors and your dentists for heaven. You know, the things that you you be become attached to, we don't think about. So finding your new set of friends because friends do not move with you when you move, right? Not always anyway. Sure, um no. 
They should. They should. Um, but also, when you get to a certain age, friends and their lives become more complicated, too. They have families, and they have expectations and in-laws and things like that right where they have to remain where they are and they have to get up and move too and that's like the biggest i think reality is that that's what can shake is that everyone else's lives are evolving and your life is evolving in its own way too and i think there's just being comfortable with that even when it's uncomfortable we'd like to kind of wrap up with some fun questions since you're in town today uh from chicago coming back to madison what's your favorite thing about being back here especially on campus um, on campus, I will say I just I love to see what what new has popped up because I my 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 muscle memory is still as such. It's like that used to be this or that used to be this. Um, and what you guys probably know is the Union South, like my generation, there's like old Union South and then there's new Union South. I still haven't been in the new Union South. So whatever Union South wow. looks like today, I don't even know what that looks like. <laughs> but my brain remembers like what the old Union South looks like, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always like to see what new has popped up and also what still remains the same. I'm like, Van Heist still looks the same, right? <laughs> um, and of course, Bascom is still getting my heart rate up, um, you know, scaling the hill and stuff like that. Um, so all that stuff is great. I think when I come to campus so in terms of food, yeah. I love, love, love Ian's Pizza. Mediterranean Cafe, that's when I had a little extra dollars in my pocket and when I could like splurge because that was going to a Mediterranean Cafe and some of these, some of the places on State Street were like my splurge meals. That wasn't a lot of money at the time. That was a lot of money Um, because it was like the Chipotle's that were holding us down back then. I don't know if that's still the case these days. Um, Yeah. yeah, um, And so that was a huge part of my college time. And then but now, most recently, I love, like, Lucille's on the Square, which is good, too. Yeah. Really good pizza. And then, also, West Side. I have to shout out West Side Madison, because that's where I'm from. Um, I, I love Cafe Hollander as well. Um, and Culver's. That's Culver's is a real treat. Um, Culver's you cannot get in other parts of the country. And I want, I want folks to know that when you do move away, you will miss it. <laughs> what do you get at Culver's? Oh, the kids meal actually the kids meal is <laughs> yeah yeah the, the kids meal with the scoopies it's yeah. a lot of food you'd be surprised um but they're really good <laughs> well that's awesome good recommendations we really really appreciate you talking to us and giving all of this very real advice and i think this has just been a great conversation so thank you so much thank you thanks so much for having me for more information on 1050 bascom visit polysci.wisc.edu and search for 1050 Bascom. The podcast is edited by Claire Salmi, Fiona Hatch, and Cole Wozniak, and is produced by Amy Gangle. Thanks for listening.